This is Going Direct, presented by Cal Fire Local 2881, a podcast created for the Cal Fire family. Welcome back to another episode of Going Direct. My name is Didi Garcia, and I am your local 2881 communications officer. Today, our chief legal counsel, Gary Messing, is back to chat with President Tim Edwards about some hot topics and issues that affect our members. They'll be covering vaccinations, membership, force issues, legislation, and more. All right, Tim, let's get rolling. Hey, good afternoon, Gary. Good afternoon, Tim. Um, Thanks for coming back to talk about these subjects that are out there floating around in our members. The biggest hot topic of the times is the vaccinations. So we're going to touch on that at the beginning of what's um, ongoing in ours, what our local is doing and what other bargaining units are doing. And of course, the breaking news today is the CDCR um, judgment on the stay of theirs. You want to just touch briefly on what we have done as a local? Uh, Sure. First of all, only three unions have done anything really about um, the issue of the vaccination and testing policy. SEIU, CCPOA, and Local 2881. The others have been uh, absent on this issue. Um. Local 2881 and SEIU did something similar to one another, which is we went to PERB and uh, got the uh, PERB to uh, expedite the process of hearing a case for us, as SEIU did. And the expedited case says that um, the employer, uh, that is the state, CalHR, and the department have to meet and confer with the union before implementing policies concerning vaccinations and testing. Um, and so we got, we got an expedited hearing on that, and we've been meeting with um, in informal conferences uh, with, at PERB. We've been re- meeting with the state and moving forward. What we've been able to do, by the way, is, is to slow the process down so, in fact, um, the state is meeting and conferring with us on these matters. They have one pilot project that's in effect in the Sacramento area, but everything else is ground to a slow move forward. Yeah, so, Gary, real quick before you move on. So, the, the PERB complaint, which was filed with the Public Employee um, Relations Board or whatever, that, um, wasn't based on whether or not an individual should or should not get a vaccine. It was solely based on the fact that as a labor organization, we have a right to meet and confer over the impacts of whether what occurs, whether or not the department or the state implements a vaccination, correct? That's completely correct. And it's really important to note that our union has a lot more reason to need to meet and confer about these, um, uh, these processes because of the fact that we have people out on the fire lines for weeks and weeks on end, uh, the you know questions that arise for our people that don't arise for any other unions. Who's going to go out there and do the testing? How do you maintain confidentiality out on the fire lines? Many many issues that we have that um, that uh, other unions don't have, uh, representing office workers or people in fixed locations. Yeah, and so I think. Um to be clear with everybody out here, 
um, as a as a local and as the union and bargaining unit eight for the state of California, we have taken a position that um, it is your choice whether to get a vaccination or not. We're not siding one way or the other against it or for it, but we are definitely fighting over the impacts of what occurs when or if the state mandates it or not mandates it. And then on top of that, you, you brought up a very thing about the logistical issues of a testing process. And I, I believe you've been in meet and confers where um, the department is kind of concerned about that too. Isn't that correct? Yes, which is why this whole process has slowed down because we've been able to bring to the attention of the department a lot of these nuances that have to be dealt with uh, before they can uh, implement a testing process. Now, you're 100% correct. This has nothing to do with stopping the, the process, but the process for us is a choice between vaccination and testing. It's not mandated testing, as the uh, Department of Corrections has been ordered by a federal judge. That is totally different because they don't have an option. Uh, CDCR employees have to vaccinate under that order. So some of our membership believes that as a, as a union, we should be fighting wholeheartedly um, the issue of mandatory vaccinations or testing as a whole. And I could tell you along in, within the California Professional Firefighters and the board I sit on there, um, many departments are almost all the departments are struggling with the same issue as, as the same. But at the end of the day, as, as a labor attorney of 40 plus years and following what's going around the country, what, what are your thoughts on whether or not a, a labor organization can actually legally find a way to fight off mandatory vaccinations or even the testing process? Yeah, that's a, a very good question. And we can do it only by the way that we have proceeded forward. There have been approximately 37 cases, major cases filed around the country on the issue of uh, whether or not you can stop vaccinations. As far as I know, not one of them has won on the merits of that issue. Some of the cases, uh, the employees have won on procedural issues like the one that we have. Are, is the employer required to meet and confer with the union before moving forward? That kind of a uh, pr process issue or another process issue is, is whether or not uh, the employer has to offer um, to religious objectors or uh, people who have a medical disability, whether they have to offer a reasonable accommodation. Those are the only things that have slowed, or slowed down the process. There has never been a case, and the, the cases go back to 1905. The U.S. Supreme Court decided a case in 1905 that upheld vaccinations. There's never been a case that has turned down the ability of an employer to give a vaccination or require a vaccination. Yeah. So I don't know if you've been following. There's this legal firm out of the L.A. area that is um, pursuing a case on behalf of what they said, the L.A. first responders. And, and first off, it does not involve L.A. city local union or L.A. County union. 
It involves an independent law firm and, and independent firefighters that are paying this law firm anywhere from 500 on up individually to pursue a lawsuit to stop the process. Uh, are you following that case at all? No, not really. Yeah. And what's ironic about that case is um, Freddie Escobar from L.A. City actually talked to one of the attorneys and said, hey, you know, we're we're not paying you this. It's an individual firefighter. Why are you taking this on? Because they've been following it too, right? These cases that have been getting shot down. Um, and they're doing it on principle and principle alone to fight it. And it actually has made statements that they're not even – sure they'll win the case but it needs to be done on principle so we have had individual members i believe that won't actually openly admit it but have said it have joined this group on their own to prove a point that you know our labor attorney their labor attorney are all out of out of whack because of this one law firm so um you should read up on that and see what's going on there because it's getting to be a hot topic where it's pitting even departments, well, I should not even say departments, just take the department out. It's taking unions and their members and pitting us against each other on, on a very issue that, you know, I'll just tell you is a personal choice first and foremost. But as a union, we have to look at the legal side of things. And so, um, yeah, you should read up on that. It's very interesting what's going on there. Well, as I said earlier, I'm not aware of a case that uh, has ever been decided that is positive on the merits of this issue and that includes cases involving employers as well as universities and schools. There's never been a, such a case. Our people work too hard for the money that they earn. I hope that they're not putting that down a hole uh, on a uh, on an issue that there just is not not a percentage chance of of winning. Not a good percentage uh, opportunity to get a good result. Yeah, I hope. I hope so too, because as as a local, they pay in to our legal defense fund, which is your firm, and, and they're getting the same defense that anybody else and any other labor attorney can give them. And so I hope they're not paying for this this attorney that is taking something on outside the unions to prove a point, but also collect hundreds of dollars off of individuals on a hope and a prayer, you know. Um, but, you know, we have individuals that believe the union is not doing everything we can in this in this situation of, of times with the vaccine. Now, th you did mention um, the Department of Corrections. CCPOA has been able to, for the moment, get a stay of uh, the policy that's applying to them. However, that is a stay that's been issued by a... a um, Superior Court, a California court, that conflicts with a federal judge's order that everybody be vaccinated. So it's a stay that's temporary. It's not a decision on the merits, number one. Number two, it involves a conflict between the um, jurisdiction of a state court and a federal court. And um, I wouldn't put a lot of um, hope, uh, frankly, behind uh, a Superior Court judge being able to overrule a federal court. Um, but uh, what's very important to note is, is in the CDCR case, correctional officers don't have a choice. They have to vaccinate pursuant to the order. That order was deemed by the governor 
and the governor took this position to be overbroad. The governor said that wasn't necessary, that vaccinating or testing in the alternative was sufficient. That is entirely different than the situation we have because we have the option of vaccinating or testing. So the cases are different, and uh, I don't know where that's going to end up, but I presume that it will end up where all the other cases did with the employer with, with the employer winning out. And in, th in this case, it, it may be the governor, and the uh, CDCR may have to follow the same pr process that we're working through for uh, CAL FIRE. So before we jump off the vaccination topic, um, I received a call asking, and, and, I'm, and you explained it a little bit, but I want to reiterate it, um, where we are on our purview claim, because SEIU, which you mentioned, um, had a, had a, a, for lack of better words, a settlement, which to me basically just referred them to meet and confer over it. And so there are some questions like, why are we still messing around if SEIU settled on that? Why are we hanging out longer than, than they did? Well, because we're just on a slightly different timetable and we're moving in the same direction that SEIU did. We're, we're looking at settling this matter uh, with a, an order, essentially an agreement to meet and confer. But the important thing is is... We want to meet and confer before things are implemented. That's the uh, agreement that SEIU uh, was able to obtain, and that's where we're moving. And um, frankly, we're uh, deep into the settlement discussions, and we may be able to wrap something up hopefully soon. But we will continue to meet and confer on the issues because there are many tweaks that are going to have to occur in order for this process to uh, work. An example, I mean, uh, even in the pilot project, uh, they had three days of testing that were available. So Darren and, and I, uh, and I believe Joe Tanek was also involved in this, uh, we were uh, uh, on the line with uh, CAL FIRE, and I pointed out that there are people whose duty weeks conform with those three days. And they may also be somewhere else in the state, hundreds of miles away. How do you deal with that? So already it's, the uh, schedule has been changed to allow for four days of, t of testing and for uh, the people to be notified in the field that they don't have to come in for testing if they're hundreds of miles away. That is the kind of thing that's happening all the time, and we're trying to deal with it at the bargaining table. Yeah, well, and along with, as I, as I end up telling individuals, um, if they for lack of better words, order you in to take a test on your day off. Who pays for that? Who doesn't? How much, you know, four-hour callback? Um, if you're deemed to test positive and you're put off on quarantine, who covers that? Is it your sick leave or state leave? There, there's all kinds of issues that are involved in that meet and confer that need to be answered, correct? You bet. Yeah. You're touching on some of the important ones. Yeah. All righty. Well, I mean, we could talk about vaccinations <laughs> all day because it's a very hot topic, not just in our department, but in other departments and, and, and the fire service as a whole. And, um, but at the end of the day, I think it's um, good for our, our members to hear one is we are doing something. We're negotiating over the impacts of whether or not uh, unvaccinate or at this time test. But as a local, let's be clear to everybody before we jump off this subject, we have not 
taken a position for or against vaccines. That is a personal choice on an individual to make. But we believe, as an organization, we have the right to negotiate over the impacts of that. And that's exactly what we are doing. So moving on to the next subject, which um, I believe we said was going to be the legislation that just occurred. We had a very active legislative year where we sponsored three bills ourselves and and worked alongside multiple others that did a lot of impact to CAL FIRE as a whole, uh, dealing with health and safety, disciplinary actions, leave time for injuries, and, and multiple other things on research and development. But the reason why I have you here today is talk about probably um, two of the ones that you were involved mm-hmm. in and that we've also kind of negotiated over the years is um, one, 4,800, which obviously the governor vetoed and said it should be back at the negotiating table. Um, you've been our attorney. How many times have we negotiated that at the table there? Uh, every time that I've been at the table that I can remember for, for the uh, negotiations on an MOU. Yes. So um, we will be back at it again to push for that benefit that every other local fire department in the state of California has. So that was not quite a victory, but one which was a very big victory victory for our um, temporary and seasonal employees was the Firefighter Bill of Rights legislation where we were able to obtain um, inserting them into the current language of the bill or in, of the law to, to include them in disciplinary action and the right to appeal process. So you want to touch on that and now what that does compared to what was afforded to them? Well, let me go back and give a little context to this. Um, this all started out with us uh, being directed by the union to try and do something in court to um, assist seasonals in having appeal rights when they are terminated from their employment. Seasonals tend to not have any punitive action taken other than termination, really. It doesn't make sense to take uh, lesser um, actions against uh, seasonals out on the fire lines. It just doesn't happen. But it is very unjust and very unfair to seasonals who some of them have 8, 10, 12 years on on the fire lines as seasonals who can be terminated essentially without a due process hearing. So... The, uh, the uh, board of directors uh, directed us to uh, try and do something in court, and we took a case up, and uh, we said that this individual should be entitled to a hearing, an individual and, uh, and other people in similar, similar circumstances. While that case has been pending in the um, Court of Appeal, we uh, discovered, uh, in, uh, interestingly, that the department takes the position that Seasonals don't have any rights under the uh, Firefighter Bill of Rights Act, even though they've been affording seasonals those, the, the rights other than the appeal rights. Uh, the department says that they have no rights under the uh, Firefighter Bill of Rights Act. Uh, this was alarming, but uh, what happened was that um, the lobbyists for uh, the union um, uh, shot into action. Uh, Aaron and Terry... Uh, 
I got very active pushing legislation, which ended up with the, the uh, amendments that we have before us now. So before you go on, I want to I lay it out to the members in more of a firefighter term. Our firefighter one classification and temporary employees were afforded by the lack of a goodwill of the department to have a union representative present at a time of uh, interview, an investigative interview or a disciplinary, um, not a disciplinary hearing, but a, um, a formal complaint or whatever being questioned by a supervisor. They believed that that was not covered under the Firefighter Bill of Rights, so they were just doing it out of their own good heart to do that. The seasonal Firefighter 1 classification and temporary employees were afforded a name clearing, and that was it where you went in front of the same unit chief or whoever that signed your termination and you expected them to unsign your termination. Um, that was the process that the department was allowing to occur. This now goes above and beyond that and solidifies into the Bill of Rights that first, they are entitled to union representation at all times, but then the appeal process, which is then you can go on from there, Gary. Okay, and you just uh, mentioned uh, some examples of things that they're entitled to that the department was providing, but, I mean, there are many other things in the Firefighter Bill of Rights Act. Um, the right to representation, the right to tape record, the right not to be harassed, the the right to see your document, your statement when you're, you have a follow-up interview, um, and on, on and on, the statute of limitations. I mean, all kinds of things that are covered uh, in the Firefighter Bill of Rights Act that before the department was allowing for our seasonals, but now it is in the law and it's required. Okay, so, this, but this all started out with the uh, question of what kind of appeal rights are you entitled to? And you've just indicated what was available before the um, act was uh, amended. Uh, to, into the current form. So what was available was essentially like a Skelly hearing. You just get to meet with the unit chief and whatever their decision is, that's, that's it. So this, this is a, the big and important issue because the department took the position that um, seasonals were not covered because they, uh, they don't have a probation, they don't complete a probationary period. And... We, we took the position that they don't have a probationary period to complete, so therefore th they were covered under all of these provisions. The main thing that was of, of, at issue then was the appeal rights. And now what we have is, is we have ad adopted legislation, we've had the legislature adopt legislation that provides for an appeal for a termination of a seasonal employee uh, who will then get a hearing with uh, almost the same, uh, virtually the identical uh, balance of, um, of uh, what has to be proven in order to retain one's job or to get the job back. So a normal employee has to, approve by, has to uh, be proven by the employer by a preponderance of the evidence to be guilty of misconduct. We have the same uh, burden to go forward. The employee must now prove that um, by one iota of evidence more than the employer that, that he has uh, uh, the right to have his job back, that the, the misconduct is, 
is in, is not valid or that there's bad faith. If that happens, the employee is not entitled to back pay, but is entitled to be reinstated in the current fire season within seven days of a decision by the SPB, or if there is no fire season still um, uh, under uh, undergoing uh, uh, at the time, the individual is, is entitled to be reinstated in the very next consecutive fire season. So basically what's happened is, is, is what was before we, what we call an at-will employee, somebody who could be terminated for no cause or any cause so long as it is not an illegal cause, has now got rights to file an appeal that can get them their job back. And that is as incredible and, and significant, and I, I just can't say enough about what the lobbyists for this um, union have done in order to make that possible. Uh, I um, was asked to come in and assist in the, the later stages and pushing the ball over the hill, but uh, Aaron and Terry are, um, you know, to be really thanked for what they were able to do on this matter. Yeah, they, there, there is a lot of work done, um, even up to the last minute, where um, there was an effort to kill the bill or strike some of the stronger language out. And we have to give credit where credit is due. Also, is Senator McGuire, who sponsored this bill, personally on the phone with me had a you know we had a conversation and decided that um, if the bill wasn't going to move forward in its current language um, then why why send it forward in the first place and we both stuck to our guns and sent it forward to uh, eventually be signed by the governor so a, a big kudos to Senator McGuire for holding to his guns too and and seeing through it and helping us on the floor and a big set of kudos to the president of this union for also uh, not uh, bending and, and sticking to his guns, Tim, because uh, uh, I witnessed it. We wouldn't have had this legislation if you had backed off. Yeah. Um, well, it's just one more thing for our firefighters who are out there, just like the permanent firefighters, 40, 50 days plus away from home. Um, deserving the same rights as everybody else. So this was huge. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good move in the right direction. A lot of work still to be done, but it, it was a victory among um, even, a, even a, a downfall on the 4,800. But we'll get the 4,800. We're, we're not going to give up on that. So there we are um, with legislation. There was others uh, in a memo that went out from me talking about the, the $5 million to health and safety research that this union got started, a wildland fire conservancy sponsored. Um, the conservancy ran by Dr. Ron out of San Marcos um, to study the health and safety uh, of us um, and our members on the front lines. So we have a good set of funding for that. We were able to take money that was going to be allocated to OES and turn it into Cal Fire for R&D research and development also. Um, it was a very active year among uh, a year of COVID where legislators still weren't meeting individuals in person. So um, very, very long year, but we got through it. So moving off of that subject, we'll move on to the next, one of the next hot topics that are going on. Um, because of not just 
major fires going on throughout the state, but because of the shortage in staffing and, and particularly in the paramedic classification throughout the state, even in local government, we are having individuals being forced on constantly. And last year, year you were a part of, and maybe it was the beginning of this year, all these things are running together. You were, you filed an OSHA complaint and a Department of Labor complaint on, on these force issues. Can we just cover those at first, where we are and what occurred with those? Yeah, actually, we filed two uh, Cal OSHA complaints. We had to file a separate complaint for RRU and one for SLU. And we're actually in the process of looking at the possibility of filing one for BEU. However, the problem is um, Cal OSHA and um, the Labor Commissioner thus far have taken the position that they do not have jurisdiction over this kind of a workplace injury. Uh, they consider it to be a matter of hours worked. Um, we, we feel that this is a very basic workplace injury issue. People who work more get injured more and get sick more. And the more you work, the, the higher the rate of injury and illness uh, that you have. Um, so we have been pressing that, but we have not received uh, back uh, any response from our latest uh, communications. Because of that, uh, the union has directed us to look at the possibility of other forms of litigation to try and uh, handle this matter. Uh, so something has to be done because the number of hours that people are working are insane. They're, they're just, I mean, um, most departments uh, who are working a 56-hour week uh, don't work the kind of hours that our people work if they didn't work an hour of overtime uh, in, in excess of their EDWC. Um, our people just working a 72 hours week in a year work more than most firefighters do in the state. Um, something has to be done. Um, we, we are painfully aware of the uh, type of uh, impact that this is having on people. So um, we have engaged in a um, massive study uh, to try and push forward with, uh, with a uh, potential lawsuit. We've found uh, very interesting um, uh, documentation and studies that have been done, nothing yet that is directly on point. But it is very clear that uh, there are studies that, are sh that show that the more hours you work, the more you're going to get injured and the more you're going to be ill. And... On top of that, there's a correlation between the number of hours you work and the amount of sleep that you get. And individuals who have sleep deprivation have more illnesses and injuries than anyone else. Yeah, I think one of the things that we definitely stressed to OSHA, I know I, I have personally and to other individuals, is even it may not even be a physical injury, so to say but a mental injury because of the stress is put on for those long hours and, and back at home with the family issues that now occur from people being gone away from home um, could create a, a very stressful environment that causes mental problems and depression and all that other stuff. And to us, that's, that's an injury that OSHA, in my mind, has failed to recognize because they only recognize what they believe is a physical injury. Is that 
kind of how you took their response? Absolutely. That's 100% how we understood their response. And, and when you say mental injury, we're looking at people who have suicidal ideation. And it doesn't take 50 shifts in a row to get to that. Although we have actually examples of people who have worked 40 to 50 shifts without a, a day off. It doesn't take that long. You know, 10, 15 shifts, people could be in danger of uh, taking their lives. And it's happening. It's happening uh, uh, not only in the, this union, but in, in, uh, in the uh, profession in general. Yeah, the fire service as a whole. Um, and, it's, and it's starting to not just be a, a CAL FIRE issue. It's, it's becoming, like you said, a, a profession as a whole issue. Um, and it, with, with that, um, we, we are doing everything... I believe legally at this point in time and everything we have to try to um, force the department to figure out a way to solve, solve the issue. Um, but at the end of the day, we can't physically go in and make the department hire more people, but it's not just the department take Riverside. It's the local government, it's the cities down there and the County down there that has to fund those additional positions and, and get them filled um, and with that, I want to touch on, um, well, let's touch on Riverside real quick because that seems to be a hotbed. And, and I'll start off by saying in no way in shape and form, in, in form does this union agree to forces. We all know that if there's a big massive fire going on, there are chances that you will be stuck on duty. That's our job. The, the issue has come where there's no fires going on, and because of lack of staffing, nobody's going home. That's where we have an issue, and, and, and we don't condone that. But in, in that same term, our same environment, this, this talk about um, individuals, uh, a handful of individuals that may be getting forced on more than another group. And, and, and we hear, what's the union doing about it? And, and as a union, we work for the majority, not the minority. And, and unfortunately, sometimes the minority may be the one being affected a little bit more. But at the end of the day, we, the majority rules. And, and that's the way it is in life. So when we talk about um, are you here, and this is where I want you to chime in, Gary, is when you hear individuals talk about, well, this is what I want my local district to do, and why can't my local district or chapter do something? In, their, in our contract as a whole, because we are a state organization and our contract covers from Oregon to Washington, can an individual district or chapter change the contract? No. The contract is bargained for by the statewide union, and that's, that's the way it, it works. Now, you, you know, however, there are discussions that go on at the local level because you have 21 units. Things may vary from one unit to another. But in that case, the union, the state union, agrees to have something decided at the local level the statewide union signs off on it. And how the statewide union does that is a political issue, not a legal issue. 
generally it, it is done by a vote of the of the membership in the local un, unit, and that's how it is accomplished. Well, even with that, the the state union has to meet and confer with the CalHR because they are in control of our contract, and at the end of the day, CalHR still has to agree to it, right? That is correct. Okay, so it's not just the union's decision. There's there's a process that raises higher than just a group of people. Um, it takes a lot more to achieve something. And if you achieve something for a minority and you hurt the majority, then in my opinion, the union has not done what it was supposed to do. We, we work for the majority of the individuals. We will never be able to please everybody else. With that said, once again, we do not agree with these force issues due to force issues due to local lack of staffing, especially within some of these units like San Luis Obispo, San, San Benito Monterey, Riverside, and multiple other units where this is going on um, because the local entities, cities, and counties are failing to step up and hire um, and push the hiring issue. So um, I wanted people to hear that we are actively pursuing the forces and the long hours as a whole, but we cannot just narrow it down to a handful of people, unfortunately, because that's just not what we're here for. We have to look at the state as a whole and the organization as a whole. Um, so I hope that gets a little bit of information out there. I know it's not going to make some of you are happy that are listening, but that's just the facts. So, well, that, as I said earlier, it's a political issue, but I've been with this union for many years, and that's how it works. That's how the union has always done things. Yeah. So talking about the membership and, and, and getting things done, we had a handful, unfortunately, of individuals that decided to um, re, you know, not become, become non-members of this organization. And with that, it's ironic that some of these non-members are the ones that are raising the concerns all of a sudden. And, and with that, I'm here, we're here to talk about what you're entitled to or not entitled to as a non-member of this union. And first and foremost, I will tell you as a non-member, you don't get a decision or a choice or a vote in anything that happens. So if you're unhappy with something, well, you're going to have to sit back and let the rest of the group that can vote and make that decision make it for you because you have no say. But with that, Gary, we hear a lot of members say, oh, well, or I should say a lot of non-members say, oh, well, you still have to represent me. You can't just not represent me. So I will list a couple of things that I believe we don't have to represent them on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or chime in. But one, in disciplinary actions, if someone gets in trouble, and even under the Deals Act, are, are we, I believe we don't have to represent them. Is that accurate or not? You are correct. You do not have to represent them. Under the, uh, the law, there's a duty of fair representation, which means that you have to represent everybody in the bargaining unit for certain things. People who are non-members, by the way, we've, we usually call them free riders, people who get a free ride on certain benefits that we can do nothing about. So you have to represent everybody in the bargaining unit, whether they're a member or not, when you're at the bargaining table and when you're enforcing the contract. 
Okay. But discipline is not under the contract. So only members get representation in disciplinary matters. And frankly, uh, you know, union representation and discipline is, is one of the greatest insurances that you can have because it is your job, it's your livelihood, it's feeding your family that can all go down the toilet in one quick uh, wash away. Um, the union is uh, very effective in representing people in disciplinary matters. You don't have the right to disciplinary representation or in, even in investigations because it is not in the contract. Well, and you, when you touch on contract, we when we negotiate a contract, unfortunately, we can't separate individuals out. The contract is good for every part of that, of our bargaining unit, which is bargaining unit eight. But when it comes to having a, having a voice or a vote, on the contract, are they entitled to that? Non-members are not permitted to vote on the MOU. Yeah, and our contract is done um, via uh, bargaining through resolution that comes through convention, uh, and the members that attend convention set those priorities for the negotiating team. So in reality, you have no say as a non-member in what occurs in our contract and whether or not it's accepted in our contract. They have no ability to vote on the MOU. They have no say when it comes to the time to decide whether the MOU will be ratified or not. Okay. Do we have to allow them to participate in union meetings? No. They, they don't have the right to participate in, in union meetings when union business is discussed. They are, some people think, allowed some limited ability to give some input on what they would like to see in the contract down the line. But they don't have the right to come to meetings, and they don't have the right to the disciplinary and investigatory uh, representation. They don't have the right to vote on a contract. So if, for example, we held a, a meeting up here in Sacramento, and we said it was just for members open only, and none of the general membership or general public was allowed we can for you know uh, not allow them into the meeting correct i agree okay but if we had an open forum type meeting then yes they would probably be allowed to sit in that's right so um but yeah this is very significant by the way uh, in terms of the seasonal employees because now seasonal employees have an ability to go to a hearing um so if they're not a member of the union, just like uh, permanent employees, if they are terminated, they are looking to, to digging deep into their pocket to, to hire a, a, a private law firm or a representative to, re to take on their case. And we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. Well, that's even the same for a permanent employee that is a non-member now. We don't represent them if they want to fight it. They have to cover it out of their own pocket. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I and the reason why I'm covering this subject is I had a lot of calls from individuals asking why don't we openly tell the non-members what they're not entitled to, um, because there's a lot of misinformation going around from those non-members that they're going to get union representation no matter what because it's a law and everybody else should do it, um, and. Quite frankly, you just heard it's not the law. 
we do not have to represent you in disciplinary actions. You do not have a voice in anything that occurs when you're a non-member. Yes, you will get the benefits of what the rest of the membership paid and negotiated for that contract, unfortunately, but you don't have no say. So if you're not happy with the contract when it's voted on, that, that's that's your that's your own problem because you didn't have a choice because you were a non-member. So um. that's right, and all of the benefits that the union gets in legislation, we we went from IDL to EIDL, and ultimately we'll go to forty-eight hundred time, as you said, and uh, seasonal employees getting the benefit of the Firefighter Bill of Rights Act and having appeal hearings, and all of these things are done. For everybody in the bargaining unit, and, un- and as you said, unfortunately, free riders get the benefit of some of those things too. But they don't get the benefit of necessarily getting union representation and having a say in the union uh, on many of these matters, as you just outlined. Yes. So as we as we go to close out here for this podcast, I want to end with this. First and foremost, I appreciate everyone that is a member and and believes in this organization and and what we're doing Uh, as a state organization working through legislators and and the administration unfortunately things don't move as quick as some people like Um, but we are working and making small steps in the right direction and our biggest one achievement I believe this year was the representation of our firefighter ones that work just as hard as any one of us um, for those non-members, you know, that's, that's your choice. Just like the vaccine is, whether you take it or not, is a personal choice. But as an organization, we will stand together and represent our members in the best possible way. And as your current sitting president, um, that's my goal, to stick to what the core issues of this union is, working conditions, benefits, and, and, work, and your salaries. And, and everything else that is outside of that is not our our decision to make. It's yours. So I thank you for listening in on this afternoon. Um, and please forward information or questions that you have that you would like answered. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Going Direct. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that follow button so you are alerted whenever there is a new episode. If you have a question you'd like President Edwards to answer on a future episode, send us an email from our website at calfirelocal2881.org.